What's happening, everybody? I'm Nolan Tuck. Stacy Glover. And this is Cinema Parlor. Uh, today's show, this is our best of 2018. Stacy, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing well. Uh, you know, we're not uh, like uh, a lot of film critics out there. We don't get to uh, see movies uh, right when they come out, so we like to kind of give it a few months uh when the new year starts to go over our favorite films of the last year. You know, we, uh, we don't get paid for anything and we're in a very small market. So we don't get, uh, all the movies in a timely manner. That's true. So even though we're going to be a little late this year, um, kind of get used to this. You know, if we do one of these every year, usually come out sometime in March, probably, or early April. So, uh, you know, hope, uh, even though it's a little later, everybody can still enjoy this and maybe find some things to watch that you haven't yet watched from last year. Uh, first and foremost, Stacy, what are you drinking today, man? Ooh, well, right now, I'm having an Imperial Stout, barrel-aged, um, from the Ibex Cellar. It's a Shafley. It's, a 10.2%. Uh, it's pretty tasty. It's, uh, a little heavier on the, um, I, when the girls drink the stouts that I have, they always say it tastes like soy sauce. It's mm. a little heavier in that flavor. Okay. But it's good. All right. A manly drink over here. Well, if you say so. I'm having, um, to start with, a nice little cocktail of sorts. I'm drinking a Moscow Mule. Oh. And this is very tasty. And uh, after I get done with this, I've got a Deschutes uh, Freshly Squeezed IPA over here. Okay. And uh, it's a good beer. Nice. Six percent, I think. Uh, so, yeah. Got some, got some drinks ready. Mm-hmm. We're ready to have some fun. And talk about uh, some movies we enjoyed from 2018. Uh, I guess before we get into that, uh, do you have anything you want to talk about as far as what you've been doing uh, over the last couple weeks, man? Well, I, I just started vacation, so that's exciting. Plan to get a lot of uh, video game and movies in. Um, I've been playing through uh, Final Fantasy VIII again on the original PlayStation. So having having a good time with that old game, good fun, man. How yes. about yourself? All right, uh, I'll name a couple things. Uh, we both probably have been watching a lot of 2018 films, so I won't go into that. I will go into uh, I uh, last weekend was able to watch Jordan Peele's new film Us. Uh, I know you haven't got around to seeing it yet. I will just say that I very much enjoyed the film. I will be interested to discuss it with you at some point. And, yeah, I really uh, want to see it. Big fan of it. So, yes. How how's it compare to Get Out? I think Get Out <clears> is <throat> uh, probably a better film, uh, but I think Us is is better directed. Us has a lot of, of things going on in it, a lot of themes. I don't know if it comes together as a story as tightly as Get Out, uh-huh. um, but I, I liked it very much. Um, so I'll just leave it at that for now. Okay, cool. Yes. Uh, so yeah, watch that. Um, and, uh, other than that, just have watched a lot of 2018 movies. So yeah, same yeah. here. Trying to catch <laughs> up. Uh, so I guess with that note, uh, let's probably just get into our episode. Yeah. Um, okay. I was going to ask you, how do you want to do this? Uh, we're counting down, right? Top five. So how we're doing this today is yes, we're going to do a, our top five films of 2018. And, uh, I figure what I'm going to do is before we go into our top five, I made a top 10, so I'm just going to list my 10 through 6, not talk about them, but just say what they were. Okay. I'm going to do that. Do you have a, a bunch of honorable mentions? I have honorable mentions. 
I have some other things. Uh, uh, let's just start this way, all right? Um, do you just do honorable mentions? We can do things honor- that. Yeah, we can do you that. really like that. You yeah, know? that didn't quite make the top ten. So I go about top tens in a weird way. I, like sometimes they match themes for me. Um, sometimes, a lot of times, it matches like things that I I really like movies that um, have a lot of texture to them. Things that I can rewatch and I find a lot there that I want to go back to. That's how I usually put my top 10 is how much I am really wanting to revisit these movies. Um, so with that being said, some honorable mentions that weren't in my top 10 this year that I like, like kind of pained me not to put in something like you were really here. You were never really here by Lynn Ramsey. Um, something like let the sun shine in from Claire Denis. Uh, those films, uh, very, very good. Some other stuff uh, would be like Black Klansman, which is something I love from Spike Lee. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you was not my top ten. Something I really enjoyed. I uh, I I have easily about a top twenty five that I would very much vouch for for all those movies. Oh yeah. But um, those are some honorable mentions just off the top of my head that didn't make it into my top ten. I'll just go through a bunch that like I pondered. Um, these are movies I really really liked this year. That uh, I'm just going to list them off. Sure. Just the names of the movies. I'm sure we'll probably talk about some of these in more detail in a bit. But uh, things I really liked. Uh, Shoplifters as the Japanese film that was up for Best Foreign Film. That's right. Uh, Star is Born. Roma. Mission Impossible Fallout. Ooh, good one. That Her- would That's a great movie. Yep. Hereditary. Creed Two, Sisters Brothers. The Night Comes for Us. The Favorite. Overlord, Halloween, Sorry to Bother You, Blind Spotting, First Reformed, The Writer, uh, You Were Never Really Here. So these are all movies that like I really, really liked mm-hmm. and that if we expanded this, sure. like they would probably be, you know, in a top ten yes. or you know, whatever. Okay. Here's some here's some thoughts for me that I had from twenty eighteen. I watched a total of eighty six films from eight twenty eighteen. Decent amount. I still had a good amount that I didn't get to watch, but such is life. Didn't find the time for it. Uh, I found an overall theme this year, and this is, of course, not in every movie. I just, in a theme of a lot of movies that I enjoyed, uh, I found a theme of loss of identity. I think back to films, there's a good amount of films that had, like, men or women wearing some sort of wig, taking wigs off uh, in, like, a key scene. Things like If Beale Street Could Talk, Cold War, Disobedience, Zama, The Favorite, Cam. Black Panther, like an inner struggle of someone, uh, like trying to be someone you're not, trying to be, you know, accepted in a space that will only accept you if you comply to others' rules. I just thought that was a big theme of 2018. Out of the 86 films I watched last year, at least 50 of these movies were three and a half star films or better, which for me is very good. If I give something three and a half star, I'm three and a half star. I'm pretty big on the movie, just as far as that goes. Uh, so those are just some thoughts I had from 2018. I don't have stats. Okay. I'm sorry. I just went, uh, you know, I just thought that was some interesting stuff I wrote down. Oh, so. pop Bill Street on my mentions because uh, okay. I I haven't reviewed it yet. So when I was compiling that list, I did not pop it on there. That's the last movie I watched. Okay. Very so nice. That movie is fantastic. Okay. I've got a few films here I'd like to mention that I did not get to see in 2018 that I really wanted to. That would be Happy as Lazaro, Private Life, Personal Problems, Lean on Pete, 
The Death of Stalin, and Madeline's Madeline. So those are some films that I wish I could have watched, I just didn't make the time for, which is mostly my fault and just how life goes sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there are some that I miss too. Like, I, I like to watch, you know, all the blockbusters and stuff. I didn't get around to Mary Poppins and, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. There's some other stuff, but... Sure. Yeah, there, there's always films that, you know, we miss out on. I haven't watched Vice yet. That was up for Best Picture. Um, we watched the Best Picture winner. Oh, Green Book. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about Green Book? I mean, there's not much to talk about. It's pretty generic. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I feel that... I think the Oscars in the past few years have actually been really good as far as, like, rewarding films that are deserving. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, the last couple of years, it's definitely been better. I would put this up along... Now, I don't know how you feel. This is just personally my opinion. I... We'll put it up there with something like probably The Artist and The King's Speech is like just generic. genera films that prob genre films that, you know, probably shouldn't have been the best picture winner. Yeah, it. I don't know. I, I don't think this is a movie that, uh, you know, 20, 30 years from now, people are really going to be talking about. But honestly, I don't think there is, I, I don't think it's like a you know, Forrest Gump versus, like, Shawshank or Pulp Fiction sort of thing either, where there's, like, clearly better movies that were nominated that should have won. Like, there's movies we would have been fine if they won, but, like, I don't think there's going to be anything that's, like, talked about as much. And I, you know, and I guess we can differ somewhat on that. I, I really, I find some very <clears throat> fascinating films from 2018, but um, that's more of a, just personal taste. Well, like, you know? when people talk about this year, like, I mean, I mean, the highest grossing film is probably going to be the most talked yeah, about. Yeah, as film, far Black as like Panther. Hollywood goes, yeah, for sure. Like that's probably the mm -hmm. most important film of the year. Sure, that was a big, definitely a big, uh, a big uh, money maker right there, and uh, you know, cultural significance. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know as far as like uh, I don't know what we're into. This year's Oscars was a little disappointing. Sure. Yeah, and I'm with you. I'm not, I was not a big Green Book fan, um, but uh, it is what it is. So, well, like, you love Bohemian Rhapsody. I love Bohemian Rhapsody. What a film, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad movie, too. <laughs> yes, it was. A lot, of, a lot of bad movies that were up for stuff this year. Yeah, it, it was It was an interesting year, it to say to the least. seems to be a disconnect between sure. the craftsmanship and, like, what they're nominated yeah, for. Yeah, it is, it is very strange. Um, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, we don't need to... You know, that's all the time that that needs. So let's, let's get into your stuff, man. All right. So before we get into our top fives, I'm just going to go down through my 10 through 6 here. And again, I'm just naming these. I'm not going to talk about them. But my number 10 of the year, we've got The Writer, directed by Chloe Zhao, and Western. I've got a double bill there, directed by Valeska Greisbach. Uh, yeah, great movies. Number 9, I've also got a double feature here. I've got Minding the Gap, directed by Bing Liu. And I've got Ryuchi Sakamoto, Coda, directed by Stephen Nomura Shibble. By the way, Minding the Gap is another one that would make my, my mentions. Very nice. Uh, sad that I forgot that. I, I love that movie. It's very uh, it's very emotionally driven. Yeah, and those, you know, just those two movies, I, I the big read, I paired those together. They're both documentaries, but they're the two movies that I watched last year. I, I don't get that emotional very often. Um, those are the two movies that really hit me in a certain spot, and I, they were just both very, very well done. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Number eight, If Beale Street Could Talk, directed by Barry Jenkins. Number seven, The Favorite, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. 
Number six, Shoplifters, directed by Hirokazu Korita. Nice. So, yeah, so a lot of things that we, you know, similar sure. likes. Yes, uh, indeed. Yeah, dude, Shoplifters. That, that was such a good movie. A great movie. It, it, yes, uh, one that, uh, it's actually the first Korita movie I've seen. Yeah, um, same he's here. He's been he around had a, for a while. He had a real big one that played internationally, like, what, two years ago? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's had a he's had a few really big ones. I've got a box set of his, in fact, that okay. we need we should go through sometime. Um, but yes, he he is he's been around for a little while. Made a lot of uh, films that uh, we need to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that movie's awesome. Uh, it's about a makeshift family, and uh, I don't want to say too much. It, it's just very good. Yes, check it out. You should. <laughs> All right, man. So you want to get into it? All right, let's do it, man. Here we go. All right, you want to go first or me? Uh, We'll just imaginary flip a coin for it. Uh, I'll go. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so my number five here. This this will be my only double feature in my top five. I have Cam, directed by Daniel Daniel Goldhaber, or Goldhaber. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his name. And I have Suspiria, directed by Luca Guadagino. Okay. So, uh, let me start off by saying Cam is a movie as a horror movie of sorts it's on netflix it's mm -hmm. a netflix film you all can go see it right now if you so desire this uh is a movie that i think is a blumhouse production if i'm not wrong as well and this is what i said about the movie uh cam uh is very brilliant uh the positive and negative thing about the internet is your life can be ruined but with a click of a mouse you can literally try and remake yourself this might be the film about trying to maintain different lives and personalities through fake masks and mirrors that ultimately disintegrate your so-called original existence. This is a great deal to unpack, and that is exciting. So this is a movie that you have uh, a cam girl. I mean, I think a lot of everyone knows what that is, more or less. Yeah. A person that um, shows their self for others to look at on the internet, and they get paid for it. Yeah. And... So what happens in this movie? I know you haven't seen this movie, have you? Not not? Y not yet. So I won't go into too much depth here, but oh no, go for it, man! Uh, I I had many months to watch it. I sure. just didn't get around to it. And uh, so we have this character, and uh, while she is doing her thing one night, she you know does it, goes to a party. The next day, she wakes up and she sees that she is actually streaming a cam video while, she, but she's asleep in bed, like she hasn't been there. So she kind of freaks out. What's going on? Come to find out, she realizes she has some sort of doppelganger that is inside the internet pretending to be her. Moves like her, looks exactly like When you like say inside her. the internet, do you mean like a Tron sort of thing? Maybe so. <laughs> like they... so. Yeah. <laughs> They're actually in the internet? They're in the internet, yeah. I mean, you see them on the screen, but like... Wait, this isn't a person like her doppelganger. It's not a tangible person? You never see the person other than what you see on the screen. This is true. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, if I gave away too much, I'm sorry. Uh, but No, no. That's... <laughs> okay, I just want a clarification because when you said they were in the internet, that struck me as funny. Yeah. And I thought you were <laughs> yeah. You were just saying nonsense at me. No, 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 no nonsense here. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it's it's just anyway, anyway it, it's a movie I really, I really liked. It just, I thought about it days after i watched it mm -hmm. and i just think there's a lot of substance a lot there to unpack um so anyway a movie i highly recommend uh what i'm going to do is 
the more you listen to us, the more you will know I like to do this every year. You know this because we've done it in past years. After I talk about a movie a little bit in my top five, I'm going to give you some thoughts from other people that I respect because a lot of times these movies I haven't seen for months, possibly even sometimes a year in this case. So I like to bring to the table what other people have said that are much smarter than me. So this is what I've got to have to say here for Cam. I'm going to use, uh, and a lot of these writers are people I respect, so I'm just taking their words. This is from David Ehrlich from IndieWire. Finally, someone has made a film about the existential horror of getting locked out of your account, and the horror is all too real. Goldhaber's Cam also touches on a number of other digital crises. Um, example, the way in which the Internet's short attention span requires people to constantly reaffirm their own existence. But this is clever and unnerving mind F of a movie that is at its most effective when tracing the uneasy shadow relationships we share with our own uh, online personal personas. Uh, he goes on to say the ultimate solution that uh, Alice, who's one of our characters, devises is too simple to be dramatically satisfying, but it's believable enough to scare you off social media, if only for a couple minutes. So take that for what you want. I highly recommend it. Uh, and finally, I will talk about Suspiria a little bit, which is a movie you have seen. Yes. I know you were not as high on that movie. Uh, give me your thoughts a little bit on Suspiria. You don't have to go deep into it. Just give me, because I know you've seen the movie. Yeah. Okay. I really, really, really like Guadagino's last two films. In fact, like, Call Me By Your Name, I think, is like one of the very few masterpieces of the last, like, ten years. I think it's a phenomenal film. So, I was super pumped for this film. Um, you know, I love the horror genre. I, I enjoyed the original Suspiria. So to me, this was like, oh, this is probably going to be one of my favorite movies. And it's very, very long. Uh, it's kind of like episodic vignettes. Not, um, not a lot of them. It's more about survivor's guilt than it is about the horrors of like witchcraft in a girl's school for ballet. Fair enough. I I was not I was not moved by any of the the emotional stuff they were going for. It is pretty, but I also thought that some of the images were not as striking as maybe I was hoping. For me, you know, it's a fine film. It's just it's really long. Tilda Swinton playing like all the characters like Mike Myers comedy is just eh. Okay. I, that's my feelings on it. That's fair. Like, it, it's fine. I'm sure I'll watch it again. All right. And I will just say that this was a movie that did work for me. Obviously, it's in my top five. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, I think what I liked about this movie so much, again, there was there's so much to think about with this movie. I was left thinking about it days after I watched it. It's completely different experience than watching uh, Argento's film. Uh, this is a film that's all about muted color palettes, uh, it's about um, a stranger being in a strange land. Uh, it's got all this undertones of this stuff happening in East Berlin in the 70s. Um, it's also just about like the patriarchal system of these coven of witches, which I found quite interesting. I've heard thing you know people compare like a lot of psychological talk as in the id and the three different ids, as in with uh, Tilda Swinton's character. You have the older person. You have... Uh, the, uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything for those who haven't seen it. Um, I will just say the, some tort, some type of a baddie at the end and then her, her, uh, witch in the middle. Um, but, uh, there's a lot to process in this film, which I really dug. I did not feel its length. Again, this is all just like 
what hits you, what doesn't, it's the weird thing about film is just things hit people different ways. Everything is subjective. <laughs> it's all right. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I did like this movie a lot. I, I'm, I've, I really enjoy Guadagino and, and, uh, he's a great filmmaker. Yeah. I'm excited for what he does next. I guess like maybe I was too amped for the movie and it didn't give me what I wanted out of it. You know, um, as far as this film goes, it's like you could take Cold War, like some of those themes and like setting, and just put like some horror stuff on there, and that's this movie. And that'd be you. All right, man. <laughs> that's fair. Which I mean, Cold War is a great movie too. Sure. Um, yeah, this movie. And oh, dude, I I did not like the score at all. Was it Johnny Greenwood? No. Uh, this would be uh the lead singer of Radiohead, Tom York. Okay. Yeah, I did not like it. Now I, I was big on the middle parts of the score. I will say I was a little less on his singing parts, which have been the, that open and close the film. Yeah. But I did like his stuff in the middle. Yeah. Which is fair. I guess I was just... I don't know. I was looking for something else. All right. Uh, I will end the discussion with this. This is, comes from Britt Hayes from Screen Crush. On a basic level, Suspiria is a stunningly crafted film with remarkable performances, uh, especially from Dakota Johnson, the latter of whom won't surprise you in the slightest if you're familiar with Guadagino's prior collaborations with Swinton and screenwriter David Kajajink. I'm sorry, I messed up his name on a bigger splash. But Suspiria is also willfully divisive, and its understated color palette is merely the antithetical surface of its many rebellions against form, whether by recontextualizing Argento's heavily visual work at a thematically dense exercise, or by deconstructing cinematic and psychiatric archetypes. She goes on to say, Suspiria is a theater of pain and ugliness in which a woman such as Susie can and does come into her power, it is horrible. It is breathtaking. It is, to paraphrase Susie, she. So, again, uh, you can be looked at as a very feministic work as well. Um, do what you will with it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> All right, you're up, man. Yeah, so, well, I wanted to ask you. You said you double-featured those. What uh, yeah, so the, What? What do you feel like those films have in common? The reason I double-featured those is they are both uh, horror movies of sorts. And to be honest, it's as easy as, they, uh, to me, they are both dissertation films. <laughs> Like, they're academic works that I find that someone could write a big paper on both of them because I think there's so much there to unpack with both. And that was the main reason I just kind of put them together. So All right. It's as simple as that, I guess. Well, for some anti-academics... All right. My number five... I did a double feature, too. Nice. I cheated a little. All right. I'm, I'm going Black Panther by Ryan Cogler and uh, Avengers Infinity War by the Russo brothers. All right. Um, some Marvel action. Yeah. So, and you were talking some methodology for like how you, you know, rank stuff. Right. You are very big on like whatever you find the best movie that year is usually highest for you. Sure. I am more of how many times am I going to watch this movie over my lifetime? And like, what is my enjoyment from this film? Mm -hmm. So that being said, I recognize that there are certain films like, like, Roma is probably a better film than a lot of the movies that I'm going to have on my top five. But I'm not going to watch Roma that much in my lifetime. It's a great film, and it is worth, you know, rediscovering. But, you know, sometimes you just want some fluff. That's fair. Going with what's enjoyable. All right. So, Black Panther. Uh, we talked a little bit about it earlier. It is probably, I think it is the most important film of the year. And... Like, there's a lot of people who are, like, meh about that. They told a very personal story about, you know, what it is to be black male 
and you know growing up in you know oakland in the 90s sure. and such and just you know all that stuff they and they disguise all of this in a marvel movie yep like it's the highest grossing movie of the year and it it covers many of the similar themes that like black klansman does mm -hmm. so i i thought that was really interesting i i like ryan coogler i think he's one of the most interesting filmmakers out there creed is phenomenal i like fruitville station i know you don't like that movie as much no, but I will say I like Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good movie. Black Panther's awesome. Um, really, you know, the only criticism I'd like, throw at this movie is the third act does get a little cartoon video game stuff sure. when they're doing the war yep. that's going on. But I there's so much about this movie I like. I like that um, when they go to like the ancestral planes, like all those colors, the purples and yep. everything. And it, it just reminds me of Schrader's Cat People, uh, the look of it. I love that. Michael B. Jordan is a powerhouse in this film. Uh, that action scene in the casino is great. He is easily Marvel's best villain. You think he's better had. than Loki? I do. Now, Loki is great, but I think he's the best one they've had. Yeah, I I would say his motivations are are the best. Loki's more of a Shakespearean type character. Um, plus, it doesn't help. I mean, it doesn't hurt that. I mean, Jordan's just charismatic and you just want to be you want him on screen. Well, and that's the thing about him is in this movie, he's right. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it, he kind of goes about it wrong, but, like, he is right to feel the way he does. And I think that's that's very interesting and powerful. And I think the character's arc, the character's journey in this film is very impactful. There's actual change. There's wonderful criticism about what it is to be... And this is coming from, like, two white dudes. So <laughs> take it with a grain of salt, I guess, because we don't really know what we're talking about in That's this right. regards. But, you know, it, it's about, like, what it is to be, you know, a black man in this world, in America. Wakanda is viewed as, like, a third world country because they've presented themselves as that. And it does a nice commentary on nationalism, which is a big thing that not only this country, but the entire world is dealing with right now. Everybody is kind of pulling in and... It's America first. It's uh, England first. Pulling in and pushing everyone else away. I think they do a good job com commenting, you know, like Wakanda politics. Mm -hmm. Kind of bringing it into uh, today's politics. Yep. So I, I thought it was a great movie. Going on to my next one, Avengers Infinity War. Structurally, this movie plays out more like Revenge of the Sith. It is moments. But man, those moments are so good. You know, you built 10 years of audience favor with. They're all enjoyable and you get to see them all smashed into one. You get to see Thor hang out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. You get like this character they've been building up for, what, seven or eight years. And was it Josh Brolin? Yeah. Uh, Thanos. Yep. I don't know. It, it worked for me. It, it felt like an event comic. It's probably the most comic booky movie that there is. It's all about the big moments and I really enjoyed it. There, There's a lot to complain about that movie. The side villains are kind of garbage, other than Ebony Maw. Like, the rest of them are just generic. Mm -hmm. Some of the battle scenes, you know, the Wakanda one, like, it's alright, but it's just an army of bug people. There's not much <laughs> personal stakes. But, you know, you get these big moments, like Thor joining the battle. Uh, a lot of good stuff. I don't know. What do you think about these movies? So, here, this this will start as a, as a critique, but it will end as somewhat praise, because... I have a mixed relationship with Marvel. There are films that I think are fantastic. There are films that I can't stand. So going into Infinity War, I wasn't going to go see it. I had, like, 
I'd kind of, and I, at the time I hadn't, I hadn't even seen, you know, the newest Spider-Man, the newest Thor movies, which I ended up liking those movies. Mm -hmm. But the time that Affinity War came out, I hadn't seen those yet. So I was like, I'm just going to skip this. I'm really not invested anymore. Um, what ended up happening is on Mother's Day, uh, my family was like, let's go to a movie. And they all wanted to go see Infinity War. So I was like, okay, I'll go. You know, of course I'm going to go. It's for my mom. So we went, I watched the movie. I didn't hate the movie. And that's, you know, that was, that was nice. Now I, you know, I wouldn't say I loved it either, but I, I thought it was a decent movie. Like for, for me, I think that was a big step because what it made me do was it did make me go back and watch Spider-Man Homecoming. Is that the yeah. first one? It made me go watch Thor Ragnarok. And I also watched Doctor Strange, which I enjoyed all three of those movies. And so I do think on this uh, level that they had uh, in that in this third, uh, whatever they want to call it now. Um, uh, but I, I think they're doing some interesting stuff. And so that makes me happy. And I will say with uh, Infinity War, it's nice to see characters like you said, Thor and uh, the... Uh, uh, Guardians, Guardians of the, of the Galaxy. Galaxy together because you just um, they have a comedy that's really refreshing. Yeah, and uh, also it, it it's not the plain old color palette when you get into this movie of the blues and the the the, the reds and the grays that kind of bogged down a lot of the middle. Can movies you for tell me. that like they brought in all those directors to like get their input? Sure. Yeah, I think you can because like mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like the Russos' other films. No, that's in that's the series. Very right. And then, yeah, I agree with you, man. Like, sure. the Guardian stuff feels like Guardian stuff. Yeah. Thor still feels like Thor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, and I like, think that the was stuff a... on Wakanda feels like, right. I think you know, that was Googler's a solid work. move on their part. Yeah. No, I agree, man. I, I'm i excited about the new one. Yeah, and, I, you know, I'll watch it. So I, I'm interested to see where they go after that movie. You know? Yeah. Because there's a lot of questions to be answered. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, if you are going just structurally, the movie is not as sound as some of their other films. It is a movie all about moments and just big effects scenes and it good payoff. Yes. All right. Nice. All right. What I've got next for my number four, I've got Zama directed by Lucretia Martel. Uh, me and you watched this earlier in the year. Yeah, that is correct. Give me your, just quick thoughts, if you remember, because it's been a while since. Oh no, no, I, I remember. Um, yeah, this movie is phenomenally shot, um, and there are some great scenes of a very slow-paced comedy. And I mean, the third act, man, is like a powerhouse of like color and you know just camera work. Um, for me, my biggest problem with the movie was, uh, it. It was really light on story, but there was a lot of stuff. It's a really long movie with not much story. Um, and the visual storytelling, for me anyways, uh, during the second act of the film particularly, it wasn't, like, there wasn't enough interesting things there for me to latch mm -hmm. on to, um, you know, to follow along in this uh, very basic story. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did find it a very, inter you know, it was an entertaining movie. I liked it. And it is really pretty. Um, it's just, you know, compared to something like, uh, you know, Lost City of Z or, you know, something similar, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't find as much meat there. Sure. That is that is a fair criticism. Um, uh, so, yes, uh, we watched this. I, I guess it would have been, it probably was... March or April it's been of last almost year. A year. So yeah, yeah, I don't know how much I'll bring the conversation. Although I will say that I really enjoyed this movie. Um, 
I, you know, this was one of, like you said already, the one of the best looking movies I saw from 2018. Uh, loved the way Martell uses her camera, especially in the framing and shot composition. Um, it's really a marvel how much she can fit into the frame. Sound design is also very well done. I found this to be a dark comedy with great touches of surrealism and some images that will stick with me for the rest of the year. Um, like I said uh, about all these movies, I can't wait to give it a rewatch. Um, and I feel like there's a lot to there and unpack still. Uh, so I, I think this is a movie also a lot about voyeurism. Um, I think of all the shots of our main character and he, a lot of times he is not always in the middle of the action, but seeing what's happening around him. I think it's also a comedic, uh, look on the ridiculousness of colonialism. Oh yeah. In a post-colonial world. So I think that's all there. Um, and just, man, I, I will tell you, like, I, I enjoyed the whole movie. The last third of the movie almost took my breath away just from some of the compositions. And it kind of turns into this weird little um, kind of action adventure at the end. Um, almost like you were talking about, we get a Lost City of Z type feel at the very end where they've met an a, 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 a indigenous, indigenous uh, group of people. And, you know some battle ensues and some crazy stuff happens there. Um, I think there's a lot of great things in store for Lucretia Martel. I think uh, she has a great career in front of her, and, and this is really a great movie. She's she's made a few movies before this. I haven't seen them, so this was my, as well as you, I think this was yeah, the yeah. first film that we'd uh, seen by her. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed like the, uh, the shot, comp shot compositions. Also, I thought the movie kind of plays well. It's like, like just the right. grind of work. Sure. Um, most of the film it spent him trying to get promoted and him always being promised things and he has to write these letters. Right. And mm -hmm. it's like nothing comes of it and he just keeps getting shit on. Yeah. And like it's just funny because you can relate it to your own, you know, life, whatever you do, as far as, you know, employment. Tedious goes. work. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a very tedious yep. tedious film. Yep. For sure. Um, and that might not be in a bad way, depending right. on your taste. Sure. Yes. So I'll say this last thing here before we move on. This is from Molly Haskell. Uh, the movie is an adaptation of a sub superb novel by the Argentine writer Antonio Di Bendetto, The Portrait of a Man Out of Joint with His Time and Place. Like the logical fish that spends its life near the shore, fighting the water that seeks to cast it upon dry land, with her purposely disorienting mise-en-scene, Martel plunges us into the Beckettian limbo, a surreal satire, of miscommunication between the putative ruling class and the natives. So, there you go. And who was that from? That was from Molly Haskell. Okay, nice. All right, what's next for you, man? All right, man. Uh, next for me is Paddington 2, uh, right. Paul King. This might be one of the greatest prison films ever made. So, I had not seen the previous Paddington. I rented both of them. You had a double feature, one and two. Dude, I just fell in love with these movies. I think they're some of the best kids' films to have come out in the last 10 years. They're both great. I was emotional during both films. I'm a sap man. I had a, an emotional response. Right. But man, Paddington 2, it's so good. Like, the action scenes, I mean, they're up there with, like, Mission Impossible as far as, like, how competent they're shot. Like, it is very good. This is just good filmmaking, and the whole film is so freaking charming. I love the symmetry in many of the shots. Uh, I think they do such a great job. And it does remind me of Grand Budapest, especially in the uh, shots when 
the family's coming to visit him and all of his yeah. friends from the jail are in there. That's right. Oh, it's so good. I just, I find this that movie... nice pink color palette, I too. know. I just find it so freaking charming, man. It, it's one of those films that I think I'm just going to pop in whenever I feel like crap. Yeah, and maybe put some marmalade jelly on a piece of toast. I've never had marmalade, but it looks weird. I don't know if I'd like it. I really like honey. Um, but yeah, Paddington's so freaking adorable. I love the hard stare. It's so good. Yeah. Great uh, Yeah, and like freaking Hugh Grant is phenomenal. I think that that dude doesn't get enough credit for how good he is in movies. He's really good in this He's film. really great it's in it. It's so fun. Brendan Gleeson is also very great in it. Yes. Movie. Those guys are having a great time. Yeah, and that's another thing. It looks like everybody's having so much fun in this movie. Yep. Yeah, I, I love it, man. All right. Okay, so uh, my number three, uh, I'm going with The Other Side of the Wind, directed by Orson Welles. This is an old new movie. This is an old new movie. This was supposed to come out sometime in the 70s. Yeah. Something like that. It didn't happen. Uh, a lot of issues with a lot of Orson's films. <laughs> Things didn't come to fruition. But it did get released finally. Uh, it was uh, with help of other people, obviously. Um, and uh, yeah, tell me what you thought about this movie, because this is another one we've both watched. I like it. I think that there is, there's maybe a better movie in the movie, if that makes sense. Like, I think that if Orson was cutting it himself certain things would be cut out of it, and I think we would get a tighter movie. Um, I know that they're working off of his notes, but at, there's a um, complimentary documentary that Netflix also put out. Um, was it You'll Love Me When I'm Dead? Mm -hmm. um, kind of about the making of this cut of the film, or like Orson's process for making the film. And as you could see, like, it was a very troubled process, and he was always reworking the film constantly, even after it was shot. So to say that this is the version that he would have put out, I mean, there's no way to know. It's not like Touch of Evil, where you can go by his notes and the studio cut the film. This is a thing that he kept reworking himself. So there's no way to know. I do feel the film is very sloppy. It's not tight at all. It, especially compared to some of his other work. There are some great performances in the film. Um, John Huston's phenomenal. I His performance is excellent. I, I really like the movie in a movie. It, uh, it, you know, it's kind of Orson poking fun at the European art films mm -hmm. that were getting financing over him at the time. Because, you know, a lot of his work was coming from Europe. Sure. You know, at that time. I, I think he did uh, I, a lot of... Um, like Shakespeare adaptations and stuff during like what, sure. the you know late mm -hmm. 60s and yep, such. Yeah, that's right. He did uh, Macbeth. Uh, yeah. He did uh, Othello. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's like him kind of poking fun at just like these, you know, European art films. Um, sure. Yeah, and, and it's a very, uh, you know, self, uh, what was it, a biographical film. Sure. You know, about him, even though he stated it wasn't. All right. I obviously love this movie. Uh, I think it's going to go down as time goes as uh, a movie that is going to be looked on quite fondly. Um, the one thing I will say, I, I understand and agree with what you've said uh, about, you know, the handling of the movie. I'm super glad it exists. I will say sure. that uh, Orson did edit 40 minutes of the movie and they took that editing style and they tried to match that editing style with the footage they had. So that was them, you know, they at least 
tried their best attempt at understanding his, his rhythms and his way that he was approaching the look of the film. Obviously, um, it's not going to complete be completely ever how Orson wanted it or intended it to be, uh, but they tried their best, and I respect them for that. Uh, this is a movie that intrigues me so much because of everything that is happening in the movie. This was Orson taking uh, his, his best shot at everything that was happening in cinema at the time. Um, you look at... Um, uh, his take on kind of the European art film. I think there's a lot of like Antonioni in this film, a lot of like, uh, you know, 60s French New Wave. You also get his take on what's happening in the Hollywood, uh, the, you know, the new age of Hollywood at the time in the 70s. And his take on all of that, we see uh, someone like Dennis Hopper uh, being portrayed as Dennis Hopper in the short portion of the film. Uh, we get, I love that he put John Huston as basically him in this movie. You get Peter Bogdanovich basically playing Peter Bogdanovich, who's mm -hmm. just like uh, this fellow worshiper of Orson Welles, who's like following his every step and wanting to be exactly like him. Um, and it, it's just everything all in one. And it is sloppy, but I think I just love that even more about it. And also the movie within the movie is probably one of the greatest things I've seen in some time. I just found that just to be extremely exhilarating. Um, the colors that's involved, the editing techniques that's involved, everything was just, it worked for me completely. And it's a movie that, again, I can't wait to watch. It's, it's a movie that I will say, like, it's, it will kind of leave you while watching it, it there's a lot going on. It kind of leaves you exhausted after watching the movie. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just the reality of the situation. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm so happy this film exists and that it was put out. So there's Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I, I think it's cool that there is a thing to watch that is the other side of the wind. Um, Again, it's just, it's hard to know what he intended. Sure. And that's understandable. Uh, before I let go on here, I will end with this. This is from Jordan Cronk. Uh, part withering self-portrait, part savage satire. The other side of the wind turns a birthday party for an aging studio area director into a kaleidoscopic send-up of late 60s media masculinity. New Hollywood upstarts and European art house auteurs alike drawing on the same docufiction impulses as F for fake. Wells brashly diagnoses the era's creative and cultural condition, condition I'm sorry, through an array of format styles and narrative devices that taken together more readily resemble today's grotesque multimedia hybrids than any one bygone trend or movement. Nevertheless, it's a product of a direct time and place, and that we have the film now is a trick that Wells, America, American cinema's master magician, would no doubt appreciate. So, there's that. Yeah, it... Have you seen that for fake? I have not. That's a movie that I need to get around yeah, to watching. Yeah, so... Um, Very much. The woman who's in um, Other Side of the Wind was Uda... Yes. I, I Yes. I'm sorry. I'm not um, going to remember her name. Anyways, uh, so I think they started working together around F is for fake. Yes. Um, they're romantically involved and she became, became a muse for him. Um, so I, I think that's funny that she has like such... I, didn't she help write a she lot? She did. Of, she was a big part of this didn't movie. Didn't she do the film into a film? Yeah. Like, she was the one who wrote all yes. that? Yes. Oja Kodar. Oja Kodar. Yes. Yeah, Oja. That's right. Um. So, yeah, I, I think all that's interesting. I think their relationship's interesting. Um. Yeah, it, it is definitely, you know, you should go watch it. And it's by the way, Netflix. you are right. Sorry to interrupt you. She was a helped write the film, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it and it's, 
it is a wonderful piece of history to examine. For sure. And it, like Stacy said on Netflix, go check it out. Yeah. And watch the documentaries with it. Because I yeah, think it's yeah. good context. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All now, right, man. All right, man. So my uh, next film is the best uh, documentary winner from this year's Academy Awards, Free Solo, uh, directed by uh, Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vascaler. Vassar Lowley might be saying that name wrong. So <laughs> I'm an a-hole. Um, yeah. So this movie follows, uh, free climber, Alex Honold, Honold. Um, and it's just him climbing up. Um, you know, just it's him going up the side of this mountain. The whole thing is just him. I can't even think of like the name of the mountain. It's very famous. Uh, it's in Yosemite, I believe, but, uh, Dude, it's such an interesting movie. I also think it has, like, some of the best shot stuff of the year. Um, so everybody in this... This was shown on IMAX, correct? I think so. Uh, National Geographic, I know, uh, produced it. And all of the filmmakers, it, like, everybody who handles a camera, I believe, is a climber. Um, so free solo climbing is, like, one of the most dangerous things in the world. Uh, it is climbing without the safety of a rope. And many people die from it. Um, I think there's only like 1% of the climbing population does free solo. So this guy is one of two of the most famous guys that does this. And um, what he's climbing here, nobody has done free solo. Um, it's one of the most dangerous, you know, climbs in the world. And th this film for me, it gave me a lot of the same feelings that uh, Man on a Wire did. But it, uh, it, there's, there's more like immediacy to it because Man on a Wire is a, is documenting a thing that happened while this is doing it while it is happening. So I, I find that more thrilling and dude, the shots are so good. Like these guys are all climbing. So you just get, it's so personal while he's climbing, you know, the side of this rock face. I, I. You haven't seen this, have you? I have not. So I did not. This was another one I didn't get a chance to watch. Uh, I will at some point. Yeah. So it is freaking fantastic. And I, I love it. I And going into award season, I was thinking Minding the Gap deserves the Academy Award for Best Documentary because, you know, it's such a personal story and everything. And I don't see how anything else could beat this. But, dude, Free Solo is one of the best documentaries I've seen over the last you know decade it i praise yeah nice. it's so good just the shots like it, it gives you the same feeling as like watching a mission impossible because everything's real like this guy if he what it requires is human perfection and you don't get to see that too often in life if this guy messes up then he dies he's done yeah and all that's on camera and it's just about the process. Um, it goes over like the intricacies of like different moves that climbers have to do to get over certain peaks. And I, I just found the whole thing enthralling. Um, even his personal life, um, how he manages his, you know, day-to-day -day relationships, all of it is just fascinating. Um, I highly recommend it. I found it to be a very powerful moving experience. All right, and this is streaming on Hulu right now. It's on correct? Hulu right now, yeah. Um, 
honestly, the only flaw of this movie is, like, the ending song is garbage. Okay. Like, the credit song. Okay. It's, like, some, like, country, like, lift me up song. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> but other than that, man, like, this movie's near perfect. All right. Uh, I will check it out sometime since I have the access to it. Yeah. <laughs> I really would like to know it, you. Very good. I You haven't seen it, so we don't have much to go back and forth on. This but, is true. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I hope you watch it. I will. I will. I will. Make that vow right now. Okay, are we we are now down to our number twos here. So my number two film from the year is First Reformed, directed by Paul Schrader. Uh, this is a movie we've both seen, correct? Both love. Yes. Uh, your initial thoughts on the film? Oh my gosh, dude. This movie is so freaking good. Um, the fact that it wasn't up for more shit is a shame. Um... Ethan Hawke gives one of his best performances ever. Yeah, for me, he was the performance of the year for me um, in this movie. Not for me. We'll okay. get to that in a little bit. Okay. But um, he's really good in this movie. Uh, Amanda Se- Amanda Seyfried's really good in this mm-hmm. film. Um, what is it? Uh, Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah, Cedric the Entertainer. Um, he's great in the movie, too. And it, it's kind of interesting, especially because um, we live in the Midwest. We're in the Bible Belt. So it, a lot of the film plays between the power play of a um, a large mega church and yeah. a historical church, which Ethan Hawke is in you know control of. They have a very small congregation. Yes, everybody kind of goes to this mega church, which is interesting because I think you know from where we come from, mm-hmm. we're filled with mega churches here. Like we're right. I think Assemblies of God home base, right? Yeah, that's right. So, yep. like, everything here is just mega over-the-top. Mega like, churches everywhere. Freaking football game production. There are not many streets you can go down in Springfield, Missouri, where you will not find a church of some sorts, in fact. Yeah. So, Ethan Hawke goes on this um, very personal journey of um, wondering if maybe we're damned because of what we have done to God's creation. Mm-hmm. And... That is the thrust of the film, and it's a wonderful character piece. Uh, it's shot in full frame, and it's freaking beautiful. Yeah, one of the best, uh, again, one of one of the best composed films of the year. Uh, like you said, this really a look at global warming, uh, a look at um, really the kind of the issues and problems that megachurches have in our society, um, a lot of turmoil within um, especially when a lot of these big churches, you know, they rely on uh, cash inflow, uh, rely on, you know, I, we've seen places like ours in town where have they have a credit union. Um, these things that probably God would actually not like and look down upon. Yeah, maybe uh, we shouldn't talk about the... <laughs> yeah, probably not a huge deal about that. But I, I, could, I could go on a whole episode rant. But I will say it's a big theme of the movie, I think, to yeah. go along with that. Um, but... This is a guy with very much uh, inner tor- turmoil going on, a lot of inner struggle. And just to see uh, this character deal with these things is fascinating. Uh, you know, this is also a movie that, that really deals with, uh, you know, ecological problems in our country. Yeah, and I think well. there's a nice disconnect between, you know, Ethan Hawke seeing, like, what matters in the real world, like, what we're doing to the planet, mm-hmm. versus, like, the church's message, which is very conflicting for, like, they just kind of ignore yes. real world issues. That's right. And yeah. it, 
I mean, so many people think that, you know, global warming and climate change isn't a thing. Right. And it's something that is an issue. And, yeah. And this, this film doesn't shy away from it. It's also a movie that this is, I think, a movie that has really been leading up to Paul Schrader's career. As, as a young man, uh, he started out in criticism. He wrote about uh, something called Transcendental Cinema. And it turns out, towards the end of his career, he finally makes a movie based on Transcendental cin Cinema. He takes a lot of influ influence from directors like Brisson, uh, directors like Ozu, uh, directors like even Ingmar Bergman, um, and really takes that into his own. And uh, now while he steals a lot from them, he, he or borrows, is like is he likes to say, uh, it does make his own film and also uses a bit of some kind of magical realism in there as we get this amazing moment where you see Amanda Siegfried and uh, Ethan Hawke, uh, this this moment of bonding, and they're just kind of, they float on the yeah. screen in one of one of the more beautiful scenes of the year for me. Um, but it, it's just, it's a really great movie, and for a long time it was my number one film of the year, um, but uh, this, this was a movie I quite loved. Um, so anything else you would like to say before I finish off here? No, I just think it's a wonderful film, and I'm I'm... You know, glad you picked it. Very nice. I will finish with this. This is from Eliza Ma. Uh, she says, First Reformed is a rare object, unified in subject and style, a work of art that reaches for the divine, the ecstatic, and the ineffable. As in Brisson's films, it embodies the eternal Pascalian paradox that God is invisible but present in his worshippers. First Reformed lays bare the work of a filmmaker acting as both spirit guide and social critic, Gravely and passionately showing humankind's destruction of their world for profit. Can God forgive us? Is the question repeated throughout. In our ever-toxic atmosphere, first reformed is a new form of prayer. All right. All right, man. Heavy stuff. Very much. So, on to my number two. Not so heavy stuff. <laughs> Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. All right, very nice. Um, directed by Bob Perschetti. Uh, Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rothman, and it was also shepherded by the uh, what Lord Miller. Yes, that's I right. I believe so. Mm -hmm. Um, man, I thought this film was phenomenal. Um, <clears throat> I think it's one of the best Spider-Man films ever made, if not the best. I also, more importantly, think that it is a landmark in American animation. Most American animated films are, like, the styles are all the same. Um, you have that traditional Disney style. You know, you did get Rotoscope from Disney, which was carried on by Bakshi. And then, you know, you get, like, the CGI stylings of Pixar, you know, Toy Story and their shorts, you know, that were coming around in the early 90s. But, like, since then, all movies have kind of looked alike. You know, Lego Movie had a little difference, but that sure. style was more informed by, you know, what they were dealing with like with the Legos. Um, so there was something to inform that style. Uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is just a freaking so different for animation. I think it's one of the ballsiest animated films since Fantasia as far as like style goes. Yes, I, I agree with you. I, it blew me away. Uh, it, it's, it's something like I've never seen before. Yeah. It, it was quite great. Yeah, and I think what's really impressive about the movie is that you, know, you do get a very nice personal story about Miles Morales, who's one of the Spider-Men. It's kind of him trying to find his place in the world and what it means to become a hero and also, you know, what it is to be a young black man in the world coming of age. 
they deal with all of this stuff so well. And you also get like this touching story of all the different Spider-Mens with all of their different motivations. They're all brought together to solve this problem. And I think the film does a great job of storytelling in that they trust their audience that no matter what they're going to throw at the audience, the audience is going to be able to keep up and follow along. Uh, it deals in multi-dimensional travel and it's bringing all of these characters together and there's characters that don't make like doc octopus is she he she yep. is presented in a new interesting way mm -hmm. um you have uh you know green goblin is absent uh, i believe for the most part that's right but you have all these other villains that are brought about in different ways from what traditional you know moviegoers are familiar with you're someone who is not familiar with like all this multiverse storytelling so this was what i was going to mention after you had finished talking was a very nice positive thing to say about this movie is i'm i'm not someone who i've never read comic books um on a regular basis or anything i've you know i've read some graphic novels here or there but i i you know i come into a lot of these things not knowing what's going on right this was a movie i went into i know who spider-man is obviously but i don't know anything about these multi-universes these different you know characters i wasn't lost at all that's that's a big compliment i think to this movie mm -hmm. and I think it does a great job of just letting someone of an outsider to comics come in, see the movie, and understand completely what's happening, and actually having somewhat of an emotional impact, uh, and feeling, you know, for these characters. So I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, the storytelling, just trusting in the audience. And that's something that more movies should do nowadays, mm -hmm. and they don't. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't need an origin story like the typical origin story right you know this this film does such a great job of telling its story and trusting the audience with whatever weird place it's going to take them and it, it works 100 percent, man and i love the different animation styles you know you get like this comic book aesthetic but also with like a pop art um there's moments of anime computer effects and everything uh, the animation is just phenomenal, and it's just new. It's so freaking fresh. It, it's something you are not going to experience or see anywhere else. Yeah. This movie has it, and yeah, you should go watch it. Uh, all the accolades it's received are well-deserved. Very much. Uh, I'm with you, man, and I'm, I think it's a great pick, and I endorse it myself. Great movie. Hell yeah. All right. Are we ready for our number ones? Yeah, let's get let's, to let's it. Let's get this thing going. All right. So my number one movie of 2018 is Burning, directed by Lee Chong Dong. Uh, we have both seen this again. Yeah. You, you almost, we have actually pretty much, I think there's one movie on each of our lists probably that one of each of us haven't, haven't seen. Yeah, that's just guess. it. Um, so give me your thoughts on Burning, man. It is, it's pretty good. It has one of the most visually stunning scenes of the year. The, the dancing scene while the sun goes down. You know what I'm talking about. I do, yes. Um, that scene's phenomenal. I also think this movie is, it does one of the best jobs of representing what it is to be in like a relationship, but you're in that awkward point to where you don't know if you're actually with the person. Uh -huh. I mean, you have to watch the movie to understand. Uh, it, this young man uh, hooks up with a girl that he knew from his childhood. Uh, she goes away for a couple weeks comes back and she's got another guy who's like really successful and good looking you know and they're just all kind of hanging out and he's kind of a third wheel 
And the first half of the movie is all just exploring, you know, that dynamic. And I think it it's phenomenal. Like, it does one of the best jobs of, you know, portraying that type of relationship. The second half of the movie kind of not as strong for me. Uh, I think once it gets into thriller elements, it's a little bit weaker. Okay. Very nice. Um, so I'm, I've got two quotes here since this is my number one. I'll start with the quote and then I'll end with another one. To start here, this is from Trevor Johnston. Uh, Burning is a film where every detail counts, so pay attention to the conversation about miming how to eat a tangerine. Keep your eyes peeled for high me's seemingly invisible cat. There's a dialogue going on here about how we can ever be certain about what we think we know, yet it's couched within a film whose lurching handheld cinemascope framing and penchant for turning Magic Hour light into a symphony of murk leaves us in an enveloping miasma of unease. Uh, so my personal thoughts, obviously, I love this film. This was my only five-star film of the year. Um, this was a movie that just it just hit me on, on everything. I, I There's so much going on in this movie. I was... I think I was taken so much right at the start of this movie. I, I find it such a, a fascinating relationship between our main character and the lady that he meets in the beginning, Hi mm -hmm. uh, Me. And I find it so strange because I think one of the biggest mysteries in the whole movie is, to me anyway, was even understanding if these two actually knew each other. And I ask this because while she does claim early in the film that they knew each other when they were younger, you know, he doesn't ever recall her. Now, he understands the name. Um, she tells him at one point she had plastic surgery, all this stuff. Uh -huh. a, a part of me wonders if sometimes I, I, I find this to be an interesting movie as in a funny way, too, because I wonder if this is just a big scam on John Soong the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> these characters are just messing with him. Um, I think it does a great job with this movie of, of giving you a mystery, but never really giving you a full answer. This is something you kind of have to guess about and think about. Um, and, you know, then that itself can be good or bad. For me, it worked uh, fully. Um, I find that it's a movie that deals a lot with um, social issues, with you know, characters of higher class against lower class. Um, as we come to find out, uh, he meets a character midway through the movie. I don't want to talk about it too much. I think there's a lot of people probably that I don't want to spoil anything because um, I think it's an interesting movie. But there's a character he meets midway through the movie as as the lady he meets goes off into it to Africa. I think she goes to and she meets another character. They come back together and. This character played by... Um, it's a dude from The Walking Dead. Yes, I'm sorry. What, what is, I can't remember his name right offhand right now. I apologize. Um, but um, And so this character is, is someone that uh, we see very rich, uh, has a lot of money. At one point, he's uh, made the comparison to like a great Gatsby. I think that's said in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it, it, it's a weird dynamic that go, that's going on there of... Uh, just a, a lot of social implications. We also get this interesting uh, dynamic going on where Hung Su's character, or I'm sorry, Jong Su, Hung Su, I can't remember his name for sure. I'm probably messing that up. I apologize. We've had drinks. Um, anyway, uh, he lives right on the border of like North and South Korea. And uh -huh. I find that very interesting as well. And a lot of times you'll see him in the movie, he'll get up and you'll hear like the North Korean um, uh, uh, system. The propaganda you know, radio. Propaganda and talking to them in the background. There's a lot of this movie that I think is to unpack. Um, I'm doing a bad job probably scattershotting a lot of things at this point because 
I need to see this movie again. I'm very excited to watch it again. Um, but uh, I just, I really, really got dug this movie and found a lot there to unpack. So that's that. <laughs> Do you yeah. have anything more to say? Um, no, I mean, I, I like the movie. Um, yeah, the first half really worked for me. Second half, not so much. That's about it. You know, that works. I will end with this. And this is from Jose Teodoro. Echoing La Ventura, the mystery of Jaime's disappearance is eventually eclipsed by Jong Su's quest to haunt and infiltrate Ben's money shrouded milieu. milieu. Uh, Yun has rightfully garnered accolades for the hushed menace of his home, Fatal, but Yu pulls off the more remarkable feat of tracking Jong Su's self actualization through righteous transgression and baptism by fire. So there's that. I highly recommend watching Burning. It was my favorite movie of the year. Um, I've done a poor job probably expressing my love for it, but I have a lot of thoughts on this movie and they didn't all come out perfectly. But just go watch the movie. So there you go. All right, man. All right. Are you ready for your number one? I Mr. am. Mr. Glover. My number one is Mandy by right. Panos Cosmatos. He, he has a, uh, you know, his first film, Beyond the Black Rainbow, is a very stylistically interesting film, but very shallow and eh. Um, I think that this film is a perfection of what he was trying to say there. Like this style, this love song to uh, the things that he enjoyed growing up. You know, these 70s and 80s films. I love this movie, man. I, I think that it does pastiche right. Mm -hmm. I, there's so much about it. It, it plays out like um, just a heavy metal revenge fantasy film. You have Nick Cage playing Red Miller, who you, you can assume that the character building in this film, it, it's only through the actions that are currently happening. Uh, it's very, it, it's a slower paced film, but the action that's happening is very fast paced, if that makes sense. You're, you're only treated to, you know, maybe three or four scenes before Red, Red's rampage. You know, we gather that, you know, this is a troubled guy who has found solace and uh mandy uh this woman that he's living with in solitude in the woods and uh you know that is taken away from him you get some nice references to uh like cult cinema um a lot of like devil rides out mm -hmm. uh things of that nature you know uh linus roach plays a wonderful character this cult leader jeremiah sand that's right i think he's one of the best types of this you know type of character in a film in a long time and there's been been many films that have like done this type of story you know with like cult leaders and yep you know satanism and stuff um his character's so good uh is very self-righteous but is really just like they just want to be like pop rockers like the carpenters yep uh <laughs> and you know they make a pact with like these demons that are very inspired by hellraiser from a lot of the designs um also some of them could have came straight from the pages of heavy metal magazine sure. and you get these wonderful you know vignettes that um play between um scenes that are very reminiscent of like bakshi's work or heavy metal you know the animated film of you know what nick cage is thinking about um you know his past love yeah um I think the film's phenomenal, man. You get a good uh, cameo by Bill Duke, one of the great character actors. Um, I I love this. I What do you think of this movie? What's some thoughts? This is a great movie. You know, what's funny about uh, 
about both our lists here with with your list um really there's not one movie i i i have a lot of different like a lot of negative to say <laughs> with your list i mean i guess i wouldn't say infinity war is a a, a, a great movie for me but as I, I didn't hate it by any means but like all your movies i i really enjoy <laughs> on your list as well um a lot of different takes this year sure for sure um but mandy is another movie that you know would have been in that top 25 range for mm -hmm. me on mine uh, it it's a great movie um it's a really visceral experience uh the colors are phenomenal the you know it, it has this performance from nick cage that is just the best performance of the year it's a great performance man and and you know it's right up there you know i gave you know, Ethan Hawke, mine, it's right up there. I, I would him. say, yeah, it is up there with Ethan Hawke's performance. As far as Nick Cage performances go, I I mean, I think it's up there with, you know, um, you know, leaving Las Vegas, Wild at Heart, and right. Moonstruck. It, it, it was definitely one of the, one of the best times I had at the theater this year. I uh, think, it's a movie you needed to experience, in my oh opinion. Oh my gosh, the yeah, you need to. Um, because it really, you know, it's still going to look great on Blu-ray or DVD. Don't get me wrong. We're streaming, but it's not that same experience. It's one of those movies. I think you need to see on a big screen to fully intake and give it your full attention, which it deserves. Yeah. Uh, it's just a heavy metal revenge fantasy. Uh, the cheddar goblin scene, man, <laughs> like good stuff. Yeah. You get this wonderful perverse commercial that is very reminiscent of like just weird eighties commercials. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nick Cage and this movie does take place in the 80s um, Nick Cage comes in after all this horror that's happened and sees this and he has a bathroom breakdown and I think it's just one of the ballsiest bravest scenes that like of acting yep. that I've seen this year um, he's just in tidy whities and a long sleeve shirt yep. and just covered in blood and mud and just starts fucking chugging, guzzling the booze, guzzling yep. like vodka, mm -hmm. and just freaking out. And the camera doesn't cut, and it just stays on him the whole time during this action. Uh, you know, and it moves with him too. And it's beautiful and haunting, and it's heartbreaking too, knowing what this character has gone through. That uh, whatever demons were past him, that you know, were subsided by this union with this woman are now gone and all of that is just it, it's gone and he's only a machine for revenge right and there are so many great visual references in this film and it's done right in um it's done a little bit more tactfully than like a tarantino film and i'm not ripping on tarantino i love his movies sure. and i love the way he handles pastiche but um i i mean the most overt you know pastiche in this film is probably you know, the Nick Cage, Bruce Lee shot. Mm -hmm. um, he snaps a neck of a creature <laughs> and it does um, the the smash zoom yeah. that uh, is famous in, I believe, Enter the Dragon. And <laughs> um, there's all other moments. Uh, they reference, you know, everything from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 yeah. to um, <laughs> Hellraiser. Uh, the dueling metal. chainsaw fight. Man. Yeah, it, it is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And Linus Roach... His performance is so fantastic and also, like, freaking ballsy and brave. Um, dude, I just love this movie. I, I love the way Panos shoots people driving. Um, he, he shoots them exactly like George Miller does. Yeah. And I, I that's more pastiche, but I love it. I, 
I mean, obviously, like, George Miller is the best person at shooting people driving, mm -hmm. period. And if you're going to emulate someone's style, do that. Yeah, pretty, pretty solid emulation there. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you, like, all the way on Mandy. Great movie. I, I also agree with you, like, this is a huge step up in direction from uh, his film before, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, which I don't think is a bad movie. I just... It, it's more style than substance. It is. and I, There's no substance and, there. And I really, I mean, yeah, it, it was a movie that, that definitely left me cold in a bad way. I, I just, I watched it and I was like, well, that was that. It's, but, it's more of a thesis for like sure. what could be. Yeah. And, and, and this movie, he really takes it to that next step, that next level and really shows his craftsmanship and his work as a director. I'm excited to see what he does next. I hope it doesn't take another seven or ten years this, to this is put out true. a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this work is phenomenal, man. I, I've i already rewatched it once, you know, on Blu-ray, and it holds up, and I find it just as engaging. And that performance, man, I'm moved by it. I, I know it's silly, and, you know, you think just Nick Cage and stuff, but... Uh, it's a very honest and moving performance. Yeah, and one thing I want to say real quick, too, about that Nick Cage performance, especially in that scene where he loses it, is, you know, uh, there are people out there that can that could probably, like, take it in a way that, like, they laugh at it or they think, you know, it, it's something. But to be honest, it, it's, it's a scene that makes you, to me, it made me uncomfortable in a good way. Like, I, I think it's someone just going for it, but also someone that you feel in the heat of everything what that emotional outpour would actually be like and i think it's a very you know i think it's a real performance and something that i i think uh should be looked on as something spectacular other than something just to laugh at which by the way nick cage is in my top two films of the year yes that's true because he is more spider-man hey man He's great. Can't beat that. Yeah. So there's a lot of people. In fact, the night that we went to watch this, I think it was the premiere night at the Alamo, um, you know, in mm -hmm. Springfield. There were a lot of people that, you know, from like Nick Cage drinking nights days. Sure. Um, which, you know, we get together and drink every time, you know, Nick Cage would do a Nick Cage thing. Yeah, we had rules, man. Um, <laughs> so, and most of those are based on like his 90s action films. Right. You know, when he was like the biggest star on the planet for a little bit. Yeah. We're talking um, Con Air. We're talking Face Off. Yeah, stuff like that, which are also very entertaining films. Sure. But, um, you know, I feel like those people probably went to this movie and expecting, like, the laughter was there until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, like, for sure. It, it gets to a point where it's like, oh, shit, like, this is harrowing. Yeah. And, like, he's bringing it. Mm -hmm. Like, he is really good in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I think yes. it is a phenomenal film and visually masterful. And it is a film I'm probably going to revisit. It, it hits my taste in such a good particular way. You know, I, I love that like pulpy, yeah. kind of grungy, dirty mm -hmm. type of movie. Very good. I think it's a great pick. Uh, yeah, so there you have it. Our top five films of 2018. We finally did it. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be done with 2018. Oh, yeah. Um, I am happy to move on. Um, is it because 2018 was mostly mediocre? I had a great 2018. No, I mean, me personally, I, I had a fine year. Hey, I, I, I meant the movies. I like 2018 a lot.
There were a few movies I liked. To each their own, all right? I listed all the ones I liked, I think. Hey, I listed a lot that I loved, or I I should say there's a lot I loved I didn't list. How about that? Um, But uh, these things are all personal, correct? Subjective. That's right. Not every year is going to give you, you know, a handful of masterpieces. Sometimes, Sometimes you go in a dry spell, and that's fine. You can find, you know, maybe five movies that are pretty good. These and that's happen, good. You know? Yeah. At least we got Red Dead Redemption 2 and God of War this year in video games. Oh, gaming it. There you go. Well, um, I did have a nice 2018 movie year, and there was a lot of films I wish I could have talked about that I didn't, but the ones that I did talk about, I feel very strong about. So, there's that. That's yeah. my spill. Um, is there anything you, anything else on your mind before we, we get out of here today, man? No, I I had a good time talking with you today. I know that we've held back talking on a lot of these films. Sure. So I think that was fun. We'll probably talk about these films more in our personal conversations. Mostly me poking you in the ribs about some. Always. <laughs> Not in a hateful way. All in good fun. Uh, so I should do this because I haven't. This is, this is my bad in the last couple episodes. I need to give us some shout outs. You can find us. On iTunes and SoundCloud, I believe, we are Cinema Parlor. Uh, you can find me personally on Letterboxd and on Twitter at Chuck Madden Jr. You can find Cinema Parlor on Twitter. Stacy, where can people find you? Oh, I'm on the uh, on the Letterboxd, Glover 84 That's probably my Twitter, too. I have a face of King Kong. That's right. Let's see. Rate, review us on the iTunes. That helps a lot. It does. Um, you know... If you listen to us and you like us, or even if you dislike us, you can put a bad review. Yeah, just Please give us don't. something. Um, you know, <laughs> review us. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. Um, you know, write something down. Uh, I'm, I will read it. No one will take it personally. And, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, give us some thoughts, please. It, you know, pump us up on the, uh, you know, the old uh, iTunes search engine. That's right. All right, well... I don't know about you. I had a fun time. Yeah. This hey, what's, what's next? So our next episode uh, here, I think uh, we're going to have a little fun. Uh, this was, uh, I think, uh, a heavy episode. So next episode, I think we're going to just uh, just have a little fun here. And we're going to talk about Billy Madison, the Adam Sandler film uh, from the 90s. And on top of that, we're going to talk about our top three comedies of the 90s. Ah, it's poop again. Kind of just, a, yeah, a quick list, you know. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun with this episode. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope everyone else can have fun too because at, just remember, Adam Sandler wasn't always terrible. So That's true, but the 90s are very non-PC. That's right. <laughs> we'll have a fun time talking about it, I think. And uh, so for me, Mr. Glover, uh, you know, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Good luck and good night.